Happy New Year. Man, life is but a vapor, right? It's hard to believe it's already the year 2023. I know that many of you are still wiping sleep from your eyes. Um, you're still a bit tired. Has nothing to do, though, with you staying up until the ball dropped, right? Has everything to do with it going wide left, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, has everything to do with that. And at that very moment, like, you all of a sudden, your heart got back in rhythm <laughs> because from 8 to 11.59, like, you were all in disarray. Uh, Cindy Baker, where are you at? Listen, sister, we are going to have to confess some sin today, are we not? Right, right. I hope we did that before we came in this morning. Um, I know that uh, my dad and I were cutting up last night because as a family, we, we had to exit the text thread. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it got that bad. Um, but anyway... <laughs> We, we survived. We survived. And uh, Mike Sims, you know what we're talking about? You have no idea, do you? But Bama won. That's all that matters to you. Um, I kid, I kid. But listen, it is hard to believe that it's already the year 2023. I was reflecting on that this past week, and I was thinking, that means I'm 23 years removed from high school. And when you start to think about that, you're like, whoa, where did life go? And I'm reminded that indeed life is but a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. I know that some of you this past year have experienced significant loss in your life and through uh, the experiences of those significant losses you've learned and realized how quickly life can get away from us and how precious each and every moment, each and every second in life really is. And sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. But what I'm hoping this year is that you'll learn that the right way, okay? That it won't take something significant to happen in our lives for us to realize, first, what life is all about, and second, how, how we should cherish each and every moment that we have here um, in this momentary opportunity that we have here on this earth. If there is one thing that I hope to accomplish today, it is this. I want to help you this month, throughout the month of January, Take your next step as a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I want to take my next step as a follower of Jesus. I want to look more like Christ at the end of January than I do on this first day. Would you just signify that by raising your hand? And don't lie. Don't lie. If you're just here because this is what you do and it's a checkbox, just don't lie. <laughs> okay, it'll help all of us. But you know, it is a new year and new years kind of bring fresh starts. It's kind of an opportunity for many of us to hit the reset button. How many of you used to play Nintendo? I used to love the Nintendo. Some of you, it's the Atari, okay? Some of you dated back. Um, but Nintendo, if you remember Nintendo and, and Mario Brothers, man, sometimes I would be on that very first stage and I would die before I got to that first box where the mushroom was so I could be big, right? And I would remember every time I'd die there, I'd hit reset because I didn't like the way I was playing. And I wanted those three lives rather than two lives, right? Some of you know what that's like. And in many ways, when life isn't going the way we want it to go, we push reset, or we wish we had a reset button that we could push in our lives. And sometimes a new year brings a little bit of that to us. We look at the new year, the first day, and we say, you know what, we want 2023 to be much better than 2022. Maybe for you, you had a great 22, but you still aspire that the year 2023 would even be greater than the year 2022. I want you to know, though, that the only way that that is going to happen is if you were living your life the way that Christ designed you to live. And that is in perfect harmony and perfect union with him. So what, we were, what we're hoping to accomplish today 
is that at the end of the month, you'll look more like Jesus as a result of our time together than you do on the very first day. Now listen, in order for this to happen, it's going to take all of us as a church to do an honest self-assessment of ourselves. Now that's never easy, and sometimes it's not pretty, but it is going to require that we take an honest self-assessment of ourselves. We look at our face in the mirror, and we get real about who we are and where we are at in our relationship with Jesus. So we're going to have to do that a little bit uh, this month, okay? So bear with us as we do that, because that might be a hard uh, pill to swallow for many of us. But as disciples of Jesus, that's my hope. I want you to look more like Jesus as a result of our time together. Now at Eagle's Landing, you're going to want to remember this. At Eagle's Landing, we believe this, that life change happens best in meaningful relationships. All right, now that's on the screen. The reason we put it on the screen is because that's important. So if you have a pen, you take notes, you want to write this down. If you don't do that, you want to internalize this to some degree, that life change, real, genuine life change, happens best in meaningful relationships. Well, what do you mean by that, Trey? I believe that there, there's, there's, in some ways, every one of us in this room are alike in the fact that we have areas of our lives that we would like to experience life change. We don't like that particular area. We've been working on that particular area for a while. Maybe it's a sin that we just cannot shake. Maybe it's a bad habit that we just cannot break, but we want this particular area of our life to change. So what we do is we start to try to adjust our behaviors. And, and in doing so, we, we become exhausted because quite frankly, we don't have the ability or the capability to do that life change, that significant, real, genuine life change. So what we put up here is life change happens best, it's not the only way, but it is the best way, it happens best in meaningful relationships. Well, what we've done at Eagles Landing is we have created a context, environments for meaningful relationships to happen. You know what that is? It's our life groups. So for you, if you're going to look more like Jesus at the end of the month than you do on the first day, maybe for you that means it's time for me to join a life group. I want to experience life change that happens best in meaningful relationships. The meaningful relationships that I lack are life groups, a community of God's people who work with me, walk with me in life, help me develop habits in the daily rhythms of my life that look and honor God, look like and honor God. And maybe for you that's what your next step is. Maybe for some of you have a life group, but you know there's a second way, not the primary way here, but the second way that we can also find meaningful relationships is through a service team. Sometimes you find more significant relationships in the team that you serve on than you do even in your life group, and maybe for you it's time to serve. Serve alongside of people, and don't just show up and do life with them on a Sunday. Like, try to do life with them throughout the week. Develop rhythms that say, hey, I'm going to do life with you. And as a result of life with you, I'm hoping that Jesus will use you and Jesus will use me to let us look more like him at the end of the month, at the end of the year, than we are on this very first day. So we believe that life change happens best in meaningful relationships. I do hope that you'll begin to internalize that statement. That's why I wanted you to write it down or take a picture of it with your phone, whatever you have to do. I want you to internalize that statement, not because it's, it is Bible, but because it's rooted in Bible. I believe all throughout Scripture, even from the original first verse, like Genesis 1-1, what you see is God existing in community, and he creates the people that should exist and emulate the life 
that he is, and that is in community as well. So that's why we say life change happens best in meaningful relationships. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to dive into that a little bit today. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a very, very, very popular passage of Scripture. For some of you, you're going to read some of these verses. You're going to think, ah, that's where that is. For others of you, you've memorized this. Maybe you've internalized this. This is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture for you. Now, if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus, that's a very broad statement, isn't it? I mean, we could go through Scripture, and there's a million, a plethora of ways in which we should be growing as disciples of Christ. What we've done here at Eagles Landing is we've narrowed this down to five characteristics that we believe should be seen in your life, should be evident in your life, if you're growing deeper in your awareness of who God is and what Christ Jesus has done for you. So as you grow in your understanding of God, as you deepen your walk with Jesus, and as you recognize and realize not only who he is but what he's done for you, these are essentially five fruits that should come out of your life. Now, we call our life groups the context for community, so you can imagine what we get out of the life group. It's these five characteristics. We've trained our life group leaders to help you Embrace these five characteristics, okay? The first one is life in Christ. We believe this is where it all begins. You've got to have your identity right in Christ. Second, life in community. That's next week. We're going to talk about life in community next week. Jesse Welver is actually going to dive into that for us. He's our pastor of life groups. It's appropriate for him to be the one who dives into that with you. So we're going to be talking about that next week on the third week of January. We're going to be talking about a life of generosity that we as children of God should be the most generous people on the planet. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about a life of service, how you and I emulate the life of Christ best when we serve. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we look most like him when we are serving like he did. And then the last week of January, the fifth week, we're going to have family worship in here. Our kids are going to be with us again. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to live life on mission. Those are the five fruits, if you will, the evidences of what it looks like to grow, when you grow in your awareness of who God is and what Christ Jesus has done for you. We're going to be, begin today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to slow down for y'all, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 17, okay? Verse 17, I love how Paul puts it here to the church of Corinth. He says this, therefore, all right, every time you see the word therefore, you have to look and see what it's there for. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love how Paul does this here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, therefore, notice this word, if. Man, such a, such, such a small, seemingly insignificant word, right? If. I mean, nobody stops at the word if and dissects it and asks questions about it. But I want to challenge you, if you write in your Bible, circle that word if. Underline that word if. Think about that word if. This is what Paul was saying. Paul is saying what, what really we should do. He's saying, never assume the gospel. I don't even care if you're talking to the church crowd. Never assume the gospel. What Paul is saying is, if anybody be in Christ, because I'm going to make the assumption that not all of you are. 
in Christ. He's talking essentially to a church. Now, this church had issues, and the church had problems, and, and all churches do. Why? Because they're full of sinful people like you and like me, and let's just face it, problems go with us everywhere we go because the problem usually is inside of us, not outside of us. It's a hard pill to swallow, right? We like to point our finger, man. The problem's them. The problem's not me. But the reality is, is the sin is in all of us. And yeah, Jesus has paid the price for that sin. And yeah, we're still being sanctified and that sin is still being dealt with in many ways. Now, we're justified fully before Jesus. But there's still remnants of that that we're still working through and Jesus is continuing to conform us into his image on a daily basis. That's what that fancy word sanctification is all about. But Paul says, if, I'm not going to assume that just because you show up on Sunday morning that you're in Christ. I'm not going to assume that just because you might know some scriptures and be able to quote them at will that you're in Christ. I'm not going to assume that just because you hold the title of bishop or pastor or just because you hold the title of deacon or life group leader that you're in Christ. I'm never going to assume the gospel. We talk about this to our staff all the time. Don't assume the gospel. You don't know if, if the person to your left or to your right is a true child of God. And some of you husbands are like, it's starting to make sense. Just kidding, wives. It's a joke. Bad joke. Bad joke. But, but seriously, my wife and I, we walked through this. When she and I were engaged, she became a believer when she was nine years old. Okay? Now, she didn't really walk with God through middle and high and, and college, but she really sold herself out to the Lord around the age of 20. Okay? And we had a conversation about that. Now, did you really become a child of God when you were 20? Or did you become a child of God when you were nine? And I told her, like I was this bold with her, I was like, I don't believe you're saved when you're nine. I believe you got saved when you were 20. Now she did some soul searching and she truly feels like she gave the Lord her life at nine. The way she would explain it is I was in a church that told me what to do, I just never knew why I was supposed to do it. I knew what not to do, but I didn't know why I wasn't supposed to do it. I just wasn't discipled as a child of God in my particular church context. And, and because of that, I never really walked with him. But now that I know why I'm not supposed to do that and why I should be doing these things, it makes much more sense and I'm becoming a fully follower of his. Now, she's convinced she got saved at nine, but I pushed on her. By the way, Paul tells us this as well. He says, examine yourselves and see if you're of the faith. There's, no, there's not a problem, there's nothing wrong with us stepping back occasionally and saying, man, let's make sure that we got that right. And Paul's saying, if you are in Christ, he says, you're a new creation. The old man, the old woman, that person should be gone. And there's a new person that should now live. Now, I love how he uses this word, therefore. Remember I told you we're going to revisit that. Therefore, let's, let's go back and look at verse 14, okay? And let's read this. Because now that you're in Christ, Paul is saying, let's look at verse 14. He says, it's the love of God, the love of Christ that controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, that's us if we know Jesus, might not, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you know that one of the evidences of your salvation is that you no longer live for yourself, but you live for him who died in your place? That's a simple Yet, yet biblical evidence that you're a child of God. Paul says, I'm only going to assume based on the fruit that you're producing. Listen, this is where it gets tough, church, and we need to talk about this before we get into the points this morning. 
Where it gets tough is if we're going to live life in Christ, we have to make sure that we truly, genuinely, authentically know him. And I know that sometimes in the Bible Belt, it's hard for us to separate, you know, the, the reality that we go to church and we're faithful to church from the authenticity of our salvation. We go here and we gather as saints because we're saved. Like, like that's why we, we, we do this. But, but listen, we have to get the first thing right first. So how do we know that 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 we're children of God? Well, it's simple. Just like I know that I am alive today. I can put my finger to my, my, my whatever this is called over here, my neck. What's it called? Yeah, that thing. What you, I still don't understand what you said. Throttle. Oh, yeah, that. I thought I said throttle. I'm thinking like a go-kart. Um, Kind of like a throttle, but you know, I can feel my pulse, right? And my heart is beating. There's a rhythm going on in there. And the same thing is true spiritually. Let's put our finger to the pulse and let's see if we have life in Christ. Let me ask you a couple of things, okay? Jesus says you, you would know them. You'll know a tree, a good tree, by the fruit that it produces. What, what fruits do you produce in your life? When you think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, when you think of those things, do you see those things in your life? Now, you're not going to be perfect and complete yet. I will tell you this. My, my word going into 2023, my wife will tell you, is the word gentle. I want to grow in gentleness and how I talk to people, how I react. I just want to be a more gentle, meek, mild my, my old guy, and, and she asked me, well, why? Like, maybe God didn't create you to be that. Maybe he wants you to be more aggressive. And I talked about my, my papa, and I talked about men in my life who were significant figures of Jesus to me. And I said, one of the things that stand out to them is they're all gentle. Oh, no, they're not afraid to approach sin. They're not afraid to talk about it. But they do it in such a loving and compassionate way that it doesn't make me stiff-arm them and push them further away. In fact, I bring them closer, and I listen, and I run to them when I'm in trouble type thing. So that's what I want to do. So let me think. Let's talk about this. Like, what fruits are you producing from your life? The Great Commission in the Bible, like the reason you're alive today as a child of God is to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like your purpose in life is to make disciples of Jesus. Now listen, you can be a great businessman, you can be a great teacher in a school system, you can be a great businesswoman, you can be a great uh, politician, whatever. But that's not your main objective here on this earth. Your main agenda and objective as a child of God is to go and make disciples. So the question becomes is, are you doing that? Is it flatlined when you think about, when, when have I made a disciple? When have I told anybody about Jesus and led them to Christ? When have I taken anyone who's young in their faith under my wing and started to invest my life into them? Simple test that we can do to, to see if we have life in Christ. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's now a new creation. The way he used to live, that's gone. He has now a new life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's two simple things I want you to see in this text, okay? And we're going to do this pretty quick, okay? The first one is this. If you are in Christ, you belong to God. You understand that? 
if you're in Christ, you belong first and foremost to God. It says this, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Watch verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The only reason that you're in Christ this morning is because God allowed you to be in Christ. The only reason you had eyes to see that you were separated because of your sin from God is because God gave you the eyes to see that reality. And the only reason you understood that your greatest need in life is Christ is because God allowed you to see and to know that reality. If you're a child of God, you and I in this room, we share the same Savior. There should be one banner that is above every single head of the, of the children of God, and that banner is the name of Jesus. We belong first and foremost to him. We worship, church family, the same king. And when he's king, he rules, he reigns, he's king of our lives. First Peter says it this way in chapter 2, verse 10. It says, once, you once were not a people. That's who we once were. And now you're the people of God. You know where Peter got that idea? He got it from Hosea. Remember the story of Hosea? Hosea had a very unfaithful wife to him, and he continued to pursue her, and then he bought her back, and he allowed her to be his wife again, like he didn't give up on her or quit on her. And, and the, the whole story is an example of, of the people of God, how, how the Israelites were so unfaithful to God over and over and over again, yet he stuck with them. He continued to call them back to himself. And he did everything necessary to pay their ransom so that they could have life in him if only they would surrender. That's the whole point of that. Before Christ, he says, you were not a people. You belonged to yourself. You served your own desires. You had your own ambitions. You had your own plan. You had your own agenda. There were things that you wanted to accomplish that were important to you. But now that you are in Christ, you belong to one another. You belong to the same Savior. Your mission in life has changed. Your ambition should have changed. The reason you exist and the reason you breathe and the reason you have oxygen in your lungs has nothing now to do with you. It has everything to do with you reflecting the glory of God to a watching world. That's why we're here. See, if we've experienced life in Christ, you have to understand that we've also now received a complete shift in our identity. Our new identity now is found in Christ. This morning, church family, can you say that that is who I am? My new identity is in Jesus. See, if you want to grow stronger in your walk with God this year, there's two things that must happen, okay? Two things simply that must happen. First, you must see God for who he is. You got to start seeing him for who he is. You got to start knowing him. One of our church members sent me a text yesterday saying, I'm starting this new book, J.I. Packer, Knowing God. One of my favorite books in all the year. Don't agree with everything. Just like you probably don't agree with everything with me, which is fine. That's part of life, right? But it is a fantastic, fantastic book. It teaches you who this God is that you are now serving. You get to know him on a more personal, personal a more intimate level. So you got to know who God is. And second, you must understand how God sees you. Listen. One of the things we cannot do is make the mistake that when we go to the Bible, we think that the Bible is about us. The Bible's not about you. Anybody with me? 
I know that's hard, and it probably pushes against what you've always thought. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about God. The Bible is about him and his glory. When you go to the scriptures, we go to learn more about him. But as we learn more about him, we start to see how, how he sees us. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, let me explain this. When you and I walk up to scriptures like Ephesians 2.19, it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What we see in a text like this is that you and I in Christ are now members of the same household. We now belong to the same family. We're not strangers and aliens. We're family members. We're an army that's on mission together. What does this mean, though? It means that we are united family, a united family that doesn't fight now against flesh and blood. We now fight together against the dysfunction of sin that is created in the world. We're on mission together. You and I as one family exist as a family to bring light into the darkness, to push back on the darkness that sin has created in the world around us. So as a church, if we are not bringing light into the darkness, I didn't say bring the darkness into the light. Y'all understand the difference? Bringing the darkness into the light means will you go to church with me. Bringing light to the darkness means I want to tell you about Jesus after I knocked on your door, after I invited you into my home, after I sat down and had coffee with you. The whole purpose of the child of God is now that we take light into the darkness of the world so that we can begin to see some of the darkness dissipate because now people are becoming followers of Jesus and they join our family, the army. That's our mission together, to make more disciples throughout the world. Okay, That's the first way you look at Scripture and you read it and you learn, this is who God is. This is what he done to me. This is what he done for me. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? It's Christmas, or was. You realize that just like I said, we don't bring the darkness to the light, we take the light to the darkness. That's what Jesus did. When sin infiltrated our world, God sent Jesus to us, bringing the light of the world into the darkness so that if we would see that light, we might come to know him. And then John says it this way, just as the Father has sent Jesus into the world, or Jesus says it, just as God has sent me into the world, now I am sending you. That's our, that's our purpose. What about 1 John 3, 1? It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that, is that it did not know him. See, in Christ, the love of God has been unleashed on you. Y'all remember uh, Lavishing Larry, the generous glaze giver? Remember him? This is the text. The love of God has been unleashed on you like a coach that just won a championship. The Gatorade bath, just unleashed on them, right? The love of God has been unleashed on you. You are now his child. And the Bible says you now belong to him. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Listen, do you realize that this verse comes from a chapter that warns against the temptation to stray away from God into sin? That's where this verse comes. So you can resist sin by remembering that you belong to God. You want to flee from sin? Remember whose you are. You belong now to 
God, sin has no reign, no dominion over you. You are now more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible tells you. So when sin and temptation comes, you have a word to speak to it. Oh, no, 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 Satan. Not me. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who already done everything necessary for me. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. This body right here, you don't have the freedom to rule and reign. And you have authority in Jesus' name to speak that way. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should now walk in them. Remember we talked about our purpose as children of God? That's your purpose. You are his workmanship. You're not your own workmanship, and your husband's not your workmanship wife, and your wife's not your workmanship husband. We are the workmanship of a creator, God. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ma'am, sir, God had specific intentions for your life when he brought you into the world. You know what those specific intentions are? The specific intention is that you might know God and that you might make him known. Greatest commandment in all the world when Jesus was asked is that you love God, that you know him, and that you love people, that you might make him known. Now let's get back to our text, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come in Christ. The Bible says you're now a new creation. God has made you new. The old things don't define you anymore. The deceit is gone. The hypocrisy is gone. The envy is gone. The slander is gone. The gossip is gone. And he has made you new. God has used, or God, God used to identify you as an enemy, the Bible says. But now he identifies you as a son, as a daughter. You were a sinner. Now, because of Jesus and his blood, you're now righteous before God. You are new because Jesus, because through Jesus, your sin has been paid for. It's been atoned for. So you're restored or being restored into right standing with God. So the Bible is emphatically clear. When we are in Christ, we have a new identity. And a part of that new identity is we belong to God. There's a second thing to it. Not only do we belong to God, but we also secondly belong to one another. Pay attention to this. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Watch verse 18. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled, say it. Did it say me? Did it say you? It said what? Reconciled us to himself and gave what? Us, the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, Listen, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, verse 20. Therefore, no, not us, we. <laughs> Leave it to the kids. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through. Kids, us, yes. All right, then we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God knows the language. It reflects a sense of belonging. We belong to God as members of the household of the same family, but we also belong to one another. In fact, there's 54 one another verses in the New Testament. We're told to love one another, be gracious to one another, be at peace with one another, be joined to one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, rejoice with one another. There's so many one another verses throughout the New Testament, all throughout Scripture, you see these things, but there's one that always stands out to me, and that's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I love this verse, and I hope that you'll internalize it as well. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor. Does it say as a child of God, your duty and your delight is when you gossip and diminish the value of your brother and sister? Does it say that, does it? Does it say that your duty and maybe your delight as a child of God is that when you treat one another poorly as if you're enemies instead of friends? Does it say, as a child of God, as his child, that your duty and that your delight is to only forgive people who seek forgiveness from you? It doesn't say that. Instead, it says to outdo one another and showing honor. It says to love one another with brotherly affection. Here's what you need to hear this morning. We seize opportunities to honor each other, not degrade each other. As a family, we've got to seize every opportunity we have to honor one another and not degrade each other. We seize opportunities to express our gratitude and appreciation for each other, opportunities to build one another up. We work hard to love each other more than even they love us. We serve them and we encourage them. We lift them up. Listen, belonging to the church is God's prescription for his people. I need you to understand that this morning. Belonging to the body of Christ is his prescription for his people. Going to church or listening to a great sermon from a church online was never the instruction of God to his people. God's instruction, his prescription, was that we are to belong not only to him, but also to one another. Here's one last thing I want to leave you with. Listen, the beauty of what God does is this. We didn't get to choose each other. God chose each other for us. You know when you were born into the world, you didn't get to choose your mom and dad? You just got the mom and dad that delivered you, right? They were your parents. And God uses family, moms and dads, to mold and to shape lives. And kids don't always like it. Sometimes they disagree with it. Sometimes they push back. Sometimes when they're eight, they want to say, I want to run away. They say stuff like that. They say hurtful things. Now, why do you think the family of God's going to be any different? You know why mom forgives the kid that says, I want to run away? You don't love me? Because she outdoes her child in showing honor. She loves her child in a different kind of way. And the same calling that a mom has for her children or a dad has for his children is the same calling that we have for one another. We're supposed to love each other and sometimes we're going to hurt each other. But we have to be quick to forgive. We have to be quick to forgive. We have to be quick to allow ourselves the opportunities to seize those moments to honor other people. And just like the mom and the dad brought the child into the world and the child didn't get to choose the mom and the dad, sometimes as a faith family, we don't get to choose each other. I know what some of you are thinking, oh yeah, I can. I can just leave and move my membership to another body. You can do that, but I want you to know that you really have a, a tremendous misunderstanding of what the church is supposed to be, if that's your, your attitude. And I, I hate saying it that way, and I don't want to, this, this the truth is, and I don't, I don't want to veer away from this. The truth is, is the church in the South has done a very poor job at this because we have people that call themselves children of God that just church hop from one church to another because they like music or they like preaching or they like this or they like that. And everything has been centered around our preferences. So God doesn't 
He can, and he will, because he's sovereign and in control. But what you're doing is you're saying, you know, Lord, I don't want you to use those people to shape me. Just like a child might say to the mom, I don't want God to use you to shape me. But sometimes the hard things in life are what mold you and shape you to become more like him. And sometimes the same thing is true here in church. You need to endure it. But the last thing I want to show you this morning is not only that, but we share the same assignment. Guys, our assignment is very simple. It says in verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's what he did. And then he what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of that, we are ambassadors. That means we represent Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's the primary purpose and assignment that we have as children of God who are in Christ. You know, wherever God has you this morning, you have to understand that it is a part of his purpose to redeem the lost. God brought the men and the women and the children of this church together so that our community and the world could benefit from us doing mission together. One of the things I have worked very, very hard at the past two or three years is to bring unity and continuity to what we do as a church. What does that mean? I don't want staff that exist on islands by themselves. Jesus never designed the church to have kids over here and adults over here. No, he designed the church to be a unit, a family of baptized believers who are on mission together. So we're trying to bring that unity to our body. And Jesus didn't call you to have your thing over here and the church's thing over here. No, he wants your thing to be a part of the church's thing because it's the church's job to redeem the world. Follow me? So one thing I hope that we accomplish as a church that's in Christ is at the end of this month, at the end of this year, that we are more unified than we have ever been as a body of baptized believers. And I believe that will be evident and be seen when you and I exist as a body who is on mission together. We're better together, church. That's how God created us. This morning, I wanted to remind you that in Christ, you are ministers of reconciliation, and in Christ, you are the ambassador that represents God, who is now making his appeal to a lost world through you. Let's never forget and never neglect the mission that God has given us. In Christ, this is who you are.